0: Acts, as you uh, probably are are, are familiar, was written by Luke. Now, Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke uh, in the New Testament, which serves as kind of Volume 1 and Acts kind of like Volume 2. It's like a, uh, you know, Volume 1, Volume 2. Luke, Acts, written by the same guy. And in a lot of ways, Luke tells the story of the life and ministry of Jesus, and then Acts goes on to Tell the story of the life and ministry of the early church. It's often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but as we'll see this morning, I think it would be better represented as the continuing acts of the Lord Jesus Christ um, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in His people. So uh, what I want to do, though, to kind of, so basically this morning what we're going to do, we're going to, I'm going to set up a bit of a framing for the series. That'll be, you know, the first part of the message. We're going to hop and skip our way through Acts chapter 1 and 2, and then I'm going to share some reflections and thoughts around what God's been doing in me as a start that I think will have implications for us as a church. So that's kind of the journey that we'll be on this morning, if that's all right. But to begin, I want to start in the very end of Luke's Gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open up with me to Luke chapter 24 and some of the last verses in Luke's Gospel. This is, in a lot of ways, if you're familiar with um, Jesus' Great Commission, like in the end of Matthew's Gospel, and it shows up in the end of Mark's Gospel as well, Jesus gives these words where He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you oh and by the way I'm with you always to the very end of the age that's the end of Matthew's gospel the great commission here in Luke we get the same idea and we're going to go to Luke chapter 24 and we're going to start in verse 45. Uh, we get the same concepts, but Luke phrases things slightly different. And I want us to tune into that because you'll see some connections as we journey into Acts. He uses carryover terminology. He uses carryover words and phrases that will be important for us as we go there. So Luke chapter 24, uh, let's, let's open up here. It begins in verse, four, I'm going to start reading in verse 45. Then he, talking about Jesus, this is like on the heels of... Um, of Jesus. Did I say all that wrong? Like, people are looking at me with confused looks. Did I say Luke 24? Are we good? Yeah, cool. I was like, I'm like did I say Matthew 24? No, nah, Luke 24. Okay, good. Uh, then, so, Jesus, uh, this is like on the heels of Him, uh, journey, you know, after His resurrection, and then the journey with the crew on the, on the road to Emmaus, and then He appears to the disciples back in Jerusalem, and it, this is part of that conversation when He's with the disciples back in Jerusalem. He says, then He opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. What a beautiful phrase. Then He opened their minds so they can understand the Scriptures. And I don't know about you, but I just pray and hope that God would do that among us today. Not just today, that He would do that among us always. Amen? That He would increasingly open our minds and hearts to the revelation of who He is and His truth coming to us through His Word. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on when they had led out, When they, He had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, He lifted up His hands and blessed them. While He was blessing them, He left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, when I was young, I, I remember a conversation I had with my uncle, who was at the time a missionary. He'd served for a number of years with MAF, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, in uh, Papua New Guinea, and then was serving in Cambodia, uh, a missionary. And, and he was telling me stories about the unreached world. And in particular, I remember one story he was telling me about Nepal, where at the time, when I was young, um, there were only a few hundred known believers in the Hindu kingdom of Nepal. Well, today, there are now over a million. Iran fell to the Islamic Revolution in 1979 and now the number of believers in Iran is approaching a million. A decade ago, a researcher by the name of Justin Long thought that there were around about 100 multiplying movements of disciples and churches around the world. And then by 2017, he'd documented 600 movements And by 2020, he was tracking 1,369 movements with at least, get this, 77 million disciples in over 4.8 million churches. That's like... 1% of the world population that he's tracking in terms of these movements of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. And there are multiplying movements in China, in India, in the nations of sub Saharan Africa, in Latin America, in the US prison system, and among high tech professionals in world cities. And in 1400 years, we've never seen so many movements in the Muslim world. Yet, Despite our history and resources, these movements are the exception in our place. These are the exception in the Western world. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. I think it's time for us, church, here at the well, in Ototahi, in 2023, it's time for us to gaze into the mirror of Acts and allow God to inspire us and disrupt us a little bit as well. Because when we enter into the book of Acts, we do encounter an unfamiliar world, a world in which the good news of Jesus' life and death and victory is advancing in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We see this story of God's people who are united around the teaching of the apostles and they're joyful in prayer like joyful in prayer, right, uh, and, and, and in worship. Their love for one another overflows in generosity. They, they gather in public places and from house to house, and every day it says God's adding to the number of those being saved. They're fearless in persecution and bold in proclamation. Signs and wonders accompany the spread of God's word and troubles. They still face troubles, It's not like they don't. They're everywhere. They're facing false disciples and violent opposition and internal disputes and limited resources and imprisonment and danger, and yet the Word continues to advance from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And in its wake, it says communities of disciples spring up in every single place. The New Testament scholar Eckhard Schnabel writes this. He says, Acts relates what Jesus continues to do and teach. Now, not only in Galilee and Jerusalem, but in the whole world through the witness of his disciples. The book of Acts calls us back to the beginning. And Luke provides this picture of the movement of God, not just how it was, but how it's meant to be today. The world may have changed since Luke's time, but God hasn't changed Jesus promised that the movement of God will continue until His Word reaches every people in every place. And although we may think that there's this huge difference and big distinction between Luke's day and ours, Schnabel argues that Luke was convinced that what God was doing through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians in all churches should also experience and be involved in. See, I think a lot of times we look at the difference between their world and ours and and we tame Acts down and by rejecting its relevance for today and, and believing our context is so different that those lessons in Acts, they, they no longer apply to us. You know, we know more, we're more sophisticated, it's time for us. But I think it's time for us to actually tear down those walls that we've built up uh, between Luke's age and ours. I mean, what God was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit is relevant for every generation of disciples. That's why Luke wrote Acts That's why he wasn't content to just finish with the Gospel of Luke. And Acts, really, truthfully, only contains a few details about church structures and organization. Instead, Luke's focus is on God's action, like how Jesus defines the core missionary task of the church, how God provides the power to overcome unbelief and persecution and opposition, how He disturbs His people when they settle down. We kind of need that from time to time, don't we? I'm hoping that this uh, series might do that for some of us today, Uh, and how he ensures the messages to get where they need to be at just the right time. See, in Acts, there is one gospel message that's adapted for different audiences, yet the response is always the same. Repentance and faith expressed in baptism for the forgiveness of sins and then the gift of the Holy Spirit. And new disciples are added to the community of God's people, The gospel goes out into these unreached fields, and disciples are made, and new churches are formed, and leaders are identified, and and, and churches are strengthened and multiplied from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. This is the repeated pattern we see in Acts, over and over and over again. Luke's showing us what the movement of God looks like, what it does, and how it achieves its God-given mission. See, throughout history, movements rise and fall depending on their alignment with the life and mission of Jesus, which begins in the Gospels and continues in Acts. And so we too, here at the well, we too must align ourselves with the life and mission of Jesus. To ignore the lessons of Acts is simply an act of pride. Let's be honest. Not to look back and measure ourselves uh, is is just to... Uh, it's, Not to look back is simply to measure ourselves by ourselves rather than by looking into the mirror of God's Word. And the mirror of Acts shows us how God goes about fulfilling His mission in the world and how we're to play our part in that. We need to be disturbed about the gap between what we read in Acts and what we experience in our lives and in our churches today. That ought to disturb us, right? And despair can be a virtue if it drives us to the sufficiency of God. And I believe He wants to inspire us. He wants us to believe that what He did in Acts, He can and will do today. And the truth is, around the world, it is already happening. We're seeing it everywhere. Two weeks ago, I was at a, uh, a conference on the Gold Coast. I know, it's tough, isn't it? Suffering for Jesus and all that. Um, you know, and uh, this conference was all around church planting and multiplication and encouraging, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. And um and it was amazing, really inspiring, but I got to meet uh, Jossie Chaco. Jossie Chaco is actually married to my cousin, so I've been looking forward to meeting him because it was the first time I actually got to meet him. Um, he's, been ma- he's been married to my cousin for quite some time, and he leads a ministry called Empart, which he's based in Melbourne, but he, he spends a lot of his time overseas traveling because they have a, a call and a mission to, um, to some of the most unreached people groups in the world. And he has a particular focus on Northern India. They just celebrated, uh, last month, they celebrated their 25-year anniversary for the ministry of MPART. Now, get this, in 25 years, they have seen over 44,000 churches planted. They have a vision of 100,000, and because of the way that multiplication works, they're well on their way to achieving it. They've seen more than 2.1 million people be baptized. And get this, over 700,000 people are waiting to be baptized because they haven't been able to get to it because of COVID or because of security issues in places where there's, you know, anti-conversion laws and, it's, you know, they just, can't, they just can't do it. Over 700,000 people waiting to be baptized. Can you imagine Friends, this is happening. It's like the book of Acts breaking out in our world today in 2023, right? This is, this is what's happening. And Acts, in a lot of ways, serves for us as the model, the example to which every new generation of disciples needs to come and return again for renewal and for inspiration and for direction, so over these next few weeks, as we journey through Acts, and I hope you'll pick it up and read through Acts weekly, read through the entire book of Acts every week over the next several weeks, over and over and over again. And as we read and as we talk over these next few weeks, ask these questions, what did Jesus do? And what, what did He do to train His disciples and what did they do? What does is, what is the risen Lord and the Holy Spirit continue to do through God's people in Acts? That's probably the best question. And then what does that look like for us today? Ask yourselves those questions as as you read through. You might want to snap a photo of that slide while it's up. And then use that as part of your own journey through Acts over these next few weeks because the truth is Acts calls every new generation back to the beginning, to a movement that's born in obscurity without power or wealth or influence, a movement that's just devoted to prayer and the spread of God's word, a movement that's bold in the face of opposition and generous in love, that's experiencing God's powerful presence and captivated by the saving love of Jesus Christ and they're on the move. They're not settling from place to place they go, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. See, Acts is both a serious work of history and the living Word of God that is active for us today. It tells the story of salvation through Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen and exalted Lord. And it describes how the Spirit came on the disciples, granting them power to be His witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And Acts shows how God works through ordinary people, sustaining them in troubles and conquering every obstacle and enemy. And as Steve Addison writes in his book by the same title, what if Luke isn't just telling us this is how it was, but he's also saying this is how it can be. Steve Addison, he's a guy who's studied movements for years, and this is his latest book, he's an Australian guy, this is his latest book, Acts and the Movement of God, and it's really given a lot of shape and inspiration to this teaching series, so I commend that to you as well. So let's take a look then. Let's flip over now to Acts chapter 1. Now, these verses aren't going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to open your own Bibles. Um, probably a good thing for us all to do a little more, amen? So Acts chapter 1, if you're using one of the green church Bibles, I believe it's page 758. Otherwise, click open your Bible app on your phone or, or whatever you brought. Acts chapter 1, um, and where, where Luke continues to write. He says, in my former book, referring to the Gospel of Luke, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And this is where we get that idea of actually He continues to write about what Jesus continues to do and teach through the life of the early church, right? Um, Until the day that he was taken up to give, you know, giving instructions, all that kind of stuff. Then we skip down just a couple of verses where Jesus uh, gives, we get these words from Jesus um, when he's he's gathered with his disciples, he's eating with them, he gave them this command, verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're still thinking Jesus is going to be some military political leader who's going to overthrow Roman oppression and, and establish Israel. You know, like, They're still thinking that. And Jesus goes, no, 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 it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. Verse 8, this is the key verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A few things to take note of. you will rec- The promise of the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. This isn't for you to accomplish in and of your own strength and your own smarts and your own best strategic directions and plans. No, no, no. This will be empowered by the Holy Spirit right from the get-go. So just wait for the Spirit, Right? wait for the Spirit to what? To empower witness. That's a key word, friends. You heard it in the end of Luke chapter 24, it's here again, to bear witness. To bear witness to what? To the crucified and resurrected and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we bear witness to, right? Uh, And you'll be my witnesses. It's a huge commission, from Jerusalem to, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And a lot of biblical scholars will point out that's kind of like the table of contents for the book of Acts in a lot of ways. You know, basically the first six, seven chapters are uh, the Jerusalem part. You know, eight through 12 is kind of the Judea and Samaria part. And then 13 through 28 unpacks the, the to the ends of the earth part. You know, and that's where you insert the good joke about New Zealand showing up in the Bible because it's to the ends of the earth. Um, right. Yeah, heard that one before, Right. <laughs> Heard that one before. Uh so this is this is what's going on. So then the disciples go, Okay, we we, okay, we know what we're doing. So what do they do? They gather and they pray. Verse fourteen says, They all join together constantly in prayer. You see it? Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They're all gathered together, praying and waiting for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, right? And then they realize, oh, by the way, we're not complete anymore because we need the 12 apostles to represent and reflect the 12 tribes of Israel, the chosen people of God being His witness within the world. Like, we need to reinstate Judas who betrayed and died, you know, who betrayed Jesus and died. We need to reinstate and, and put someone in. So they figure out how we're we going to do this. If you, if you look down in verse 21, they're talking amongst themselves. They say, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, so through the crucifixion and resurrection to, the, to His ascension, for one of these must become a, what? A witness with us of His resurrection. You see it? And then they go on and basically they stop and they pray and they discern, okay God, who are you raising up? And they appoint Matthias, so they're complete. they got the 12 apostles. Later on, Paul gets designated an apostle. So you get the baker's dozen, you know, 13 apostles. And that's, that's kind of it. And then, the, you know, the rest of the, you know, it goes on from there. So, so verse, uh, v- verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. They're all together. What are they doing? They're all together in one place, praying and waiting for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to empower them to be witnesses, Right. So they were praying uh, in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. The 12 apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and began, no, that's not what it says. You see that verse four, it says all of them. We know there was at least 120 gathered Praying and waiting. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, right there, I love that here at the very beginning of Pentecost, it's not just the Spirit empowering the apostles to go and be witnesses. No, He's empowering everyone. Ordinary people everyone is receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment to go and be a witness and wh- how do they respond? It says they start speaking in other languages because there 's all these people that have gathered for the big festival in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. All these different nations have come together and they 're hearing their own language. What are they hearing talked about in their own language? The scriptures tell us they 're declaring the glory, the glorious goodness of god they 're talking about who Jesus was, and His death, and His resurrection, and they're, they're proclaiming the gospel, and they're hearing it in their own language. Right here, at the empowerment at Pentecost, we see God's heart is for all the nations. God's heart is for every man, woman, and child across the entire world. It's embedded right here in this demonstration of power of God's you know, amazing gift, um, here that shows up. And then, and then, and then you see the, the response when they start hearing them, dec- uh, Verse down in the bottom of verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And it says, amazed and perplexed. Earlier it says they were bewildered and utterly amazed, right? They asked one another, what does this mean? And so then Peter stands up, and I love that, you know, actually verse 13, it says, some, however, made fun of them, saying they've had too much wine, you know. I love that, 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 that Luke includes that little verse, because it's just this injection of reality, you know, into what is otherwise a pretty um, otherworldly, supernatural kind of thing. And then you've got those r- people who are just keeping it real, right? They're like, nah, maybe they're just high on something, eh? You know, this isn't normal behaviour, right? I love that Luke includes that, and then Peter addresses that straight off as he begins a sermon, and he says, no, 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 they're not drunk as some of you presume. In fact, this is a powerful manifestation of God's presence in our midst. This is the kingdom of God breaking out on earth. Do you see it? Jesus, he gets really bold. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he starts saying, Jesus, the one you put to death, like, you know, almost accusatory in his sermon, has been raised. He is the Messiah, He is the one you've been waiting for and looking for and He, you know, he, in Him there is forgiveness of sin and so he, over and over and over again, this bold, pro, uh, you know, proclamation from Peter and it says, the people responded in verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Do you know what it means to be cut to the heart? I feel this regularly, my wife's really good at it, you know, it's when you... Um, you know, when, you, when you, you know, you're going along and all of a sudden, you know, bless her, my wife Jamie will be like, oh, Clint, you know, this and this and this, and she'll say certain things about what I said or what I did that were just wrong. Um, and my immediate instinct is to get defensive and, you know, kind of talk back and, you know, like kind of resist and whatnot, but actually deep down I'm going, she's so right. You know what I mean? Anyone? Is it just me? That's cut to the heart. You know, when someone speaks the truth to you and you, as much as you don't want to admit it, you go, actually, I know that's true. That's feeling cut to the heart, right? Uh, It says, they're cut to the heart um, and, and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Man, has anyone asked you that question lately? Like after sharing the gospel and proclaiming boldly the truth of who Jesus is, his death and resurrection and ascension like and, and forgiveness of sins and they go, oh, I'm cut to the heart. What should we do? I haven't had that happen recently. Anyone? <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, and, and Peter replied, get this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. If you back up there into verse 38, you see Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit what paul uh, P- what peter's uh, laying out there is the same that we heard in the end of Luke's gospel you remember when Luke, in Luke chapter 24 it's the same things and it's the same consistent peter preaches five messages throughout the book of acts this is this is his first one And these same things show up over and over in all five of His messages. What does it mean? What does it mean to proclaim the Gospel? What does it mean in order to respond to the Gospel? It means we need to repent. We need to receive forgiveness for our sins. It means we need to be baptized in water, baptized in water, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a fifth one that I think is implicit in what follows is then be formed into a church community. Repent, receive forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus, be baptized and receive the empowerment and the filling of the Holy Spirit and be formed into a church community. This, friends, is the result every time Peter preaches. This is the pattern that shows up again and again through Acts. People repent. They turn from their wicked ways and they turn from their worldly ways. They turn from their godless ways to God They receive forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. They're baptized. They receive the gift and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then they form a church community and they go together. I know this sounds like rudimentary. This is like Sunday school, right? But I think it's important for us to revisit because sometimes we like to sophisticate and complicate things and move beyond some of the basics. And then we get this beautiful description of the life of this church that's forming together and what they did in the early days. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer, the prayers, as Sam talked about last week. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved stunning isn't it ah you know like we pray lord open our minds so that we might fully understand your scriptures i read i read texts like this and i go god do that here among us now. Don't let it just be for other parts of the world. Let it be for us. Let it be for us here in our church. And, and God's been kind of stirring this up. You know, we've talked a lot of times around here as a church. We, we, we take spiritual formation seriously. We want to be people who go deep in our life with Jesus. We want to relax in Jesus that out of the overflow of our lives, this kind of multiplication would come. We want to, because, you know, it matters what we multiply, right? It matters what comes out of us, that, that, that's for sure. And we want to be the kind of people who are increasingly reflecting the life of Jesus. You've heard me refer to this before, I'm going to say it again. One of my favorite definitions of discipleship or spiritual formation is from Robert Mulholland, where he writes, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I think, friends, if, we, if we're really honest, we love the first part of that, you know? Yeah, okay, it's a process. That means I don't have to have it all figured out right up front, right? I can journey this, I can track on this, get some intentionality in it. It's a process of being formed. That's the transformation piece. Like, I'm being changed inwardly, day by day, becoming more and more like what? Into the image of Jesus. That's the telos. That's the end goal. That's, it's not so that I become a better Clint You know, it's not so that I become a better, you know, husband or father, you know, although I hope those things are true and I think they are true, but it's actually that I'm becoming more like Jesus and that's actually the best husband and father I can be, that's the best pastor I can be to you, is that I'm formed increasingly in the image of Jesus. But it's not so that I can pat myself on the back and sit around in some holy huddle and go, look at us, how holy and cool and great are we, you know, it's for the sake of others, friends. And we cannot lose sight of that. That's a biblical definition of discipleship. Hopefully, our skip through the end of Luke and through the first two chapters of Acts has made that blatantly obvious by now. That actually, you can't call yourself a mature follower of Jesus if you're not discipling someone else to faith in Jesus. You cannot... Think of yourself as a mature disciple of Jesus if you've not discipled someone else to faith in Jesus. Who are you discipling to faith in Jesus? Man, that's been. This has been the conviction that started rattling around inside of me as I've been preparing for this series and and living into this. You know, a, a number of us in in our in our church have been on a journey through um, Pete and Jerry Scizero's uh, emotionally healthy discipleship course this year. It's been wonderful, doing deep work inside of us. It's amazing stuff. And Pete in that course regularly reminds us it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I think the same principle applies here that we can't can't be mature disciples of Jesus if we're not discipling others to faith in Jesus. We, yes, we want to dig the well deep, inwardly in our inner lives, reflecting the life and the heart of Jesus, but that's got to overflow in seeing more and more people come to know faith and, and follow Him. And, um, you know, earlier in, in the beginning of September, a number of us, you know, this is this is right at the very heart of who we are as a church, before I get to that early September bit. <laughs> This is right at the heart of who we are as a church. This is why we came to plant a church. This is why the well exists right from the get-go was that we would be a place. You know, our story in John chapter four is is, is the thing that fuels us and gives us mission. This woman who has a life-changing encounter with Jesus and then runs back into the town and tells everyone about it and says by the end of the story, many from that village came to know faith in Jesus. Our mission statement is awakening people to experience and express the depth of God's love. I think we've done pretty well over the years on the experiencing side. It's the awakening bit that I'm concerned about and the expressing bit that I'm concerned about. But this is why we came. This is why, you know, God called us from the other side of the planet to (laughs) move to Christchurch and establish a church and plant, like, right from the get-go. So that more and more people, we would just join what God was wanting to do in, in our city here. This is, this is why people prayed and fasted and gave and gave sacrificially to see this church come to being. I just think we may have drifted a wee bit. The reason why is because you know that um, several months ago we did the church life survey and thank you to all of you who filled out the responses. We had about 100 adults in the life of our church who filled in the, the survey results and, and, uh, and gave really helpful feedback. And as I read through the responses, man, there's a lot of things to celebrate. There's a lot of healthy indicators in the life of our church community together lots of wonderful things, you know, where people are talking about how they are growing in faith, that they're becoming more and more like Jesus, that it's it's showing in loving relationships with their family and with their friends and in their community, that that they're they're becoming more generous, that the journey of doing life together, there's wonderful, wonderful expressions of healthy church life that uh, you reflected back to us. But there was one question that really troubled my spirit and troubled my soul, and I don't share this, what I'm about to share is going to feel hard-hitting. This is not with any sense of shame or condemnation. This is just to share what God's been doing in my heart. There's this one question in there where they asked in the, in the survey, in your opinion, which of the following should be given priority by this local church in the next 12 months? And there's a list of, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 13 things or so. Uh, you can show the slide there, David. Um, and, and, and the top response, number one for us, was spiritual growth I go, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we want to grow spiritually over the next 12 months. That should be our primary focus for the next 12 months. The second highest one, you see, build a strong sense of community within this local church. Hey, these are really good things. I hope that those things are true. If you, here's, the, here's the visual, you know, if you want to click over, you know, you get the, the graph there. Here's the convicting thing for me. and And just to give a little context, I was reading this... Um, At the beginning of September, where Andy Yo, one of our servant leaders, and Hannah Fraunstein and I were at a church planting learning community. Because if you aren't aware, we've committed ourselves to planting a church in the beginning of 2025. This has always been part of the vision of who we are, part of our DNA, and we've committed ourselves to go after it. We're going to send and plant, we want to be an axe kind of church. And so when I was reading the results, this was in the context of that. We'd been all day working and dreaming and planning about how how is God inviting us to partner with what He's wanting to do in planting a new church. And I went home that night and I was reading through the responses to this. And this is the moment, you know, I was encouraged in lots of ways and, and, and inspired. But this next slide, this, you know, with my sketchy handwriting on it, encouraging people here to share their faith and or invite others Remember the Samaritan woman? She ran into the village and she said, come and see this man who told me everything about me. Less than 10%. This isn't some statistic from overseas, friends, or some other church down the road or some other place or some other time. This is our church a couple of months ago. Less than 10% saying, encouraging people here to share their faith or or start a new church or mission venture, 12.8%. And I've got to be honest with you, it broke my heart, not, not in, a, not in a, you know, a, a shaming way at all, but it broke my heart because it was the Holy Spirit's finger, you know, that, that bony finger of God right into my chest because I am well aware as the pastor, as the leader of this church, that I'll have to stand before the Lord one day and give account and I'm held to a higher account. Than others as the pastor and as the leader. I'm well aware of that. And this will be one of the things that the Lord will ask me, Clint, did you equip and inspire and encourage and and, and resource my people to be witnesses in Christchurch and to the ends of the earth? And so, over the last two months, I've been doing a lot of time on my knees. There's been a lot of, you can probably tell, a lot of tears shed, a lot of repenting on my part. And saying, Lord forgive me, Lord forgive me, stir anew and afresh inside of me a passion for seeing not just people who are like deep in formation but people who know what it is to share the gospel and invite people to come and see who this Jesus is and can I just tell you what a difference He's made in my life and, and can I pray for you because I believe God can change even the most impossible of circumstances." Friends, that's my heart, for, for me, for us as a church, and, 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 and the truth is, yes, it matters that we do that deep inner formation, that our lives are increasingly formed to look like Jesus, because what we multiply matters. Just because things multiply doesn't necessarily mean they're good or healthy. And I want to be multiplying resilient disciples, right, who know Jesus intimately, who walk with Him in and through any and every situation, who are being increasingly changed and transformed from, you know, into His likeness and image and are out there doing the things that He's doing and joining where He is already at work. You know, and this is, this is why when we talk about planting a church in early 2025, this is why we, it matters that we are becoming people that when we multiply, we know what we're sending, right? We know who, you know, what's going on, you know, that that, that 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 would then be a life-giving blessing to that community that proclaims the gospel of Jesus, that lifts Him high, you know, that people are drawn to repent, receive forgiveness of sins, be baptized, receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then go on to plant other churches. Our dream is to not just plant a church, but to plant a church that's, you know, in, in church planting terminology, excuse this, plant pregnant, so that when we plant a church, it's already got embedded within it, the next planter to go on and plant from there. Let that be how we go about multiplying and keep going. This is why we're, in, in a couple of weeks, a handful of us will be we are going over to Tonga, on a short-term trip to establish. We're just starting a mission partnership with the, t- uh, the church in Tonga, um, you know, where we've been talking with uh, a few different people. we just just on over to meet some people and discern, okay, God, where are you calling us to get involved? Early conversations have indicated that, um, hey, they could use some help with like medical clinics. Well, it turns out we've got a bunch of health professionals in the life of our church, right? Um, uh, uh, they could use some help with mental health. Turns out we've got some mental health professionals in our church, nurses, psychiatrists, psychologists, right, Um, and in youth ministry. And the heart behind the youth ministry, one, is not just to put on flash cool programs. The heart behind the youth ministry, one, is because in Tonga, church and religion is so intertwined with culture that young people today consider it nothing more than a cultural expression. They don't know a personal, vibrant, living relationship with Jesus. And so we have a gospel opportunity. And so the, the church in Tonga have said, we want to develop this relationship out of, as a relationship, like out of, out of knowing each other and knowing each other well and from a gospel base. And we go, yes, amen, that's what we want to be about any social stuff that we do, if we do some medical things, if we do some of that stuff, all good, great. We want to be holistic in our expression of the gospel, but our commitment is first and foremost to the gospel, being expression of God's love in that place, amen? And so we'll be telling you more about that in the coming weeks and how you can pray with us and support that. But friends, this starts, we've got to bring this home, right? I and mean, yes, we can talk about a church plant and go on a to tong and all that kind of stuff, but it starts with you and I, And we've got to multiply. You cannot be a mature disciple of Jesus if you're not discipling someone else to faith. So who are you discipling to faith in Jesus, friends? Who am I discipling to faith in Jesus? That's a question I've struggled to answer over the last couple of months. And so I've asked God, will you help me? Um, with this, I, I regularly pray. God, give give opportunities daily. It's become a daily prayer. You know, it's part of our daily prayer rhythm. We stop in the middle of the day and we pray for the lost. Right? This is this is part of it, and and God has started to answer that. Opportunities are starting to slowly open up, and uh, and so I just encourage you to start where you are. You know, maybe this week. Um, and, and the other thing I would say is. If you're on this formation journey of following Jesus and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and this is kind of triggering something inside of you, but you're actually just a little bit, not in a slump, but you're just kind of bored. Can I just say that when you share your faith with someone else, That's probably the best spiritual practice to snap you out of boredom and into excitement and anticipation because it puts you out on the edge, right? And you're in a place where if God doesn't show up and if God doesn't do something here, then this is, you know, like I'm going to look like a total fool, you know? And with Paul, you say, hey, if I look like a fool before others, then so be it, you know? But like, go for it, you know, share your faith. And maybe the best way, and research backs this up, maybe the best way for you to try this week is to offer prayer to someone who doesn't know Jesus, Research shows here in New Zealand that more than 80% of people, I think it's something like 85% of people when offered prayer will receive it. So try it out. Let's see if the stats prove true, right? Let's, let's, let's test it. Like, let's, let's put it to the test. This week, if someone, you're catching up and you're having a yarn or you meet someone randomly and they, they start sharing about something difficult going on in their life, you can just say, oh, you know what, I'm a Christian and I believe God can change things. Would, would you be willing for me to pray for you? You know? And then just pray. Short, simple, keep it sweet. Don't overdo it, you know, don't overcook it. If they say no, no thanks, I'm good, leave it be and just move on. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't force it, don't, don't push things, um, but just pray. Here's, here's uh, kind of where I've started seeing God opening some opportunities for us. You know, about a year ago, if you've been around the church for a while, you know, we were talking in our family about getting a puppy. Well, I'm pleased to introduce to you the newest member of our family, Meet Gus. Uh, Gus is about five months old, golden retriever um, and Gus uh, is, is, you know, he's a cheeky monkey but he's, uh, he's a beloved member of our family now, we've had him for about two months and for about the last month we've been able to start taking him out for walks after all his vaccinations and all that jazz and it turns out that when you go walking with a puppy, lots of people stop to have a yarn. Uh turns out when you live on the back of a park and you walk out the back gate at the same time, there's the same people who walk their same dogs at the same time every day. And so as I'm walking Gus at seven o'clock in the morning around the park, I'm running into the same people each day and I'm getting to know their dogs and slowly getting to know them, you know, it's interesting, there's dog people, you know, they start showing, you know, they tell, tell you their dog's name before they tell you their name, but you know, you get there, um, anyways, you get there in the end, and then like just yesterday, we had, um, Evie and I walked over to Barrington Shops, and Evie ran in to get some stuff at the store, and I sat outside with Gus for like 10 minutes, that's all, on the bench for like 10 minutes, I had four different people go out of their way to come and see Gus. And, and, you know, like four different opportunities, and they're brief conversations, they're only like a couple of minutes, but they're coming over, and, and like one was a mum and their daughter, and, and she was like, can we, can we patch a dog, you know, she saw your puppy as soon as we drove in, and she's, you know, like, like the daughter, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, um, you know, there was another elderly gentleman who comes along, and you know, he's, he's having a yarn, and then, and then there was this security guard, like an armour guard man, who pulled up right in front, and he was watching through the window while he finished up a phone call, and then he climbed out, and he's like, do you mind if I patch a dog, and he was like, He'd moved from India 18 months ago, and he left his dog back in India, and he was, he was, go- <laughs> man, you guys just like me a whole lot more now that I have a puppy, don't you? You know, this is like, <laughs> and, uh, and he's telling me this whole story, and so he's like there for a couple of minutes about, you know, telling me his whole story and all that stuff, and I got a chance to, to, to you know, share with him, um, you know, invite him to church. He was like, oh, but not tomorrow, you know, this and that, whatever, um, but he, um he said, can I get some photos? So, he started taking some I'm like, yeah, yeah, took some photos of Gus. Um, his whole purpose being that he wants to convince his missus, as he described her, um, that he needed to get a replacement dog and whatnot. So, blessings on him. Uh, may it go well with the missus. But um, it's, uh, look, honestly, this is, this is, look, for me, I've had to be a lot more intentional about this because, as a pastor, my calling and job is working mostly with people who know and follow Jesus, to resource and equip and encourage and inspire and motivate, you know, um, to, to that, that's, that's part of my calling as a pastor and as a leader. With the other hat that I wear, at the Laidlaw, as the Director of the Laidlaw Centre for Church Leadership, means I'm dealing mostly with pastors and leaders of churches, right? I don't have natural crossover connections in my life on the regular, where I'm being with people who don't yet know Jesus. And so Gus is providing an avenue. He doesn't know it yet, but he's like on mission with me. Uh, You know, every time we go for a walk, I'm prayerfully asking God, who will you have us meet today? And how might I be a blessing to what you're doing in their life? It's that simple. And I hope to have more stories from my adventures with Gus um, in the weeks and months to come. Um, But we're just getting started and I hope you will join me as we rediscover not only God's call for us as disciples and followers of Jesus, but for us as a church here at the well. This is part of our DNA and we need to repent for any lack when we think that growing, maturing Christ involves not sharing our faith. Come on, no. It's just not true. So let me pray. Lord, we do thank you that your word is alive and active. God, we thank you that you speak uh, to us and, and maybe each of us in different ways Lord I thank you for the ways that you spoke to me and Lord I confess and I repent for the ways that I have not been as focused on the mission that you are trying your mission that you are outworking, the ways in which you are pursuing people. Lord, I want to, the ways that we have neglected to join you in that, the ways that I've neglected to join you in that, Lord, will you forgive me? And we repent, Lord. I repent. Turn to you. Lord, will you empower me by your Holy Spirit? Make me bold in offering prayer and bold in proclaiming the name of Jesus in inviting people to Alpha and to church and to come and see who this God is. Come and see for yourself, Lord. Will you do that inside of me? Will you do that inside of us? We want to be part of an axe type church. We know that's not something we can manufacture or whip up ourselves, so we're totally dependent and relying on you. Give us that grace. In Jesus' name we pray.